0: The scripture today is Genesis chapters 6 verses 5 through 8, 13 through 14, chapter 7 verses 1 through 6, chapter 7 verse 22 through chapter 8 verse 1, chapter 9 verses 8 through 13, chapter 6 verses 5 through 8. verses 13 through 14. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Chapter seven, verses one through six. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. Chapter 7, verse 22, through uh, through chapter 8, verse 1. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth a 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. And then chapters nine, verse eight through 13. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. So my name is Dan, and I'm on the leadership team here at Trailhead Church. Uh, so welcome, uh, guest. We're glad you're, you're here visiting with us, uh, and we hope that uh, you all weathered the storm uh, well this week and last night, yesterday. Let's pray before we jump into the message this morning. Father, I thank you for this day, God, I thank you that we can gather together as your body and seek to give you the worship that, that you deserve, that we can be here and, Lord, dig into your word that helps us to understand who you are and what your relationship is to us and how we should respond. Um, so, Lord, I pray that this morning Lord, you would help me to be faithful to your word and, God, that your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts. God, that we would be changed um, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning is the third Sunday, third week in our series, The Shadows of Christ. And in this series, we're looking at the Old Testament. We're looking at the people, at the events, the things that happened in the Old Testament, and how they point to uh, the hero of the overarching story. Um, it's a message of redemption and reconciliation, and that message is accomplished. The climax of that message is in Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at where we see um, shadows and images that point to Jesus Christ uh, in the Old Testament. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a person uh, named Noah, uh, the ark and the story of the flood. Um, And I just want to uh, say thanks to our scripture reader this morning. We had uh, quite a bit there, and we were kind of jumping all over the place, but we did that uh, intentionally because we wanted to get kind of a summary of the story and allow you to see um, bits and pieces of the entire story uh, that we're going to be digging into uh, this morning. Now, last week, as I mentioned, as we, we looked at Adam and Eve and creation, and we are also in the book of Genesis, the first or the second and third chapters of Genesis. And one thing we need to remember as we dig into the Old Testament, we need to be thinking about, okay, who is the original audience? Who were the first people to uh, have read these words? Who were the first people to have received uh, the text that God has, has given to us? And Genesis, the first book of the Bible was written by Moses. We believe it was written by Moses as God inspired him uh, to write down these words. And Moses, if you remember, if you know, heard the name of Moses, the Ten Commandments, he was the one that, that God chose to lead the people, um, his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And the Israelites had been there for, for quite a long time, a long time, centuries. And they were exposed to the culture of the Egyptians and the gods that the Egyptians worshipped, the false gods, the many gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And so Genesis, in a sense, is a reintroduction to the Israelites, to God's people, of who he is, who God is, and what his relationship is to us. This is a message that there is one God, he sits above creation, and that we're his children, we're not his slaves, we're his children, now, believing what Scripture says uh, is true, believing that the Word of God is true and it is, that God is who it says He is, uh, it takes faith. Faith believing that all of this, this is true. And Noah, Noah was a man of faith. And we'll see in a moment that Noah, in his faith, led him to respond according to that faith. That he responded In obedience to God's command because he believed that God was good and worthy of his worship and his faith led him to obedience in God. So my hope this morning is that as we look at this story, as we dig in, that we'll see more of who God is, we'll see more of his character, we'll see more of God through this story, And that will lead us to potentially live differently. It will lead us to respond to God in worship and to respond in obedience to what he has called us to do. And here's what would be fruitless this morning. Here's what wouldn't be very helpful is that if, as we go through the story, we memorize the story, remember all the key points, remember all the verses, even if we memorize the entire chapters. And we did that, but then we didn't do anything differently as a result. That it was just knowledge without change and knowledge without action. Um, that would be unfortunate for us. Uh, so imagine it with me that, uh, just to put this in a, in a metaphor, an example, be imagine that um, you're driving and you get pulled over. You were speeding and uh, you knew you were guilty and you get pulled over. And the officer is kind enough to give you a warning. He says, do you know how fast you were going? You're honest about it. You reply. He says, okay, I'm just going to give you a warning, but, but slow it down. And you go on your way. The next day, the very next day, you're in the same area, same place, speeding again. The same officer pulls you over, recognizes your car, recognizes you, walks up to the window, says, hey, do you know how fast you were going? Um, I just stopped you here yesterday. And your reply is, well, officer, I, I re- remembered everything you told me. I memorized it. You even repeat some of it back to him. You know, thanks, thanks for giving me all that information. How well do you think that's going to that's go? Um, I think it's going to be a 120 dollar educational experience, right? It's probably not going to go well. Or think of it this way. Think of someone giving you a brand-new car. Okay, they give you a car. And they give you the manual to go with that car. And you know, it's sitting in your driveway, all nice and, and new and sparkly. And you read through the manual. You read through the, the guide for that. You know everything about that car. You know all the buttons, how to operate the, the sunroof, how to use the heated seats. Um, you know everything about it. But you never get in the car. You never turn it on. You never put your foot on the gas. And you never use it. That would be unfortunate. It would be unfortunate to have all of that knowledge and never put it to use, never use what has been given to you. So, similar to those stories, um, for us to read the story of God, for us to read about Noah and not have it impact us or affect the way that we live, um, would be unfortunate. And so, we're going to look at Noah, who is a man of faith, and look how his faith led him obedience and to respond to God. So our story this morning opens with a description of the condition of man, looking at the state of humanity. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 5 again, if you would with me again. This is on page 5 of the Black Bibles. You may want to put your finger there, we're going to be hitting some of these again. Verse five, chapter six. It says the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on earth great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, so this is this is a description that it's bad. It's really bad. Okay, it says that every intention of man's heart was on evil. Every thought was bent on evil. Later in verse 11 it tells us that the earth was filled with violence. It was filled with violence. That sin and self-centeredness now ruled the creation that God intended to be to be good. That God intended to be good, humanity was now in complete rebellion to God, to its creator. And it is here that we also get a glimpse of God's character, a glimpse of who God is and how God responds to the condition of humanity. The same chapter, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. Here in this passage, we get a small glimpse into the emotions of God. It tells us that he was grieved. It tells us that he was, was sorry, that he regretted that he had made man, that he had made creation. He experienced grief and he experienced sorrow because he saw the condition of the way things were in. And I wanted to point this out because I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget that God has emotions. It's easy for us to forget that when we see the sin around us, when we see the pain around us, we forget that God has compassion. We forget that God is also grieving over that sin over that marring of creation that is all around us you see we were created in god's image in god's likeness we were to be like god not that we had all of the same qualities of god not that we had the same power we didn't have the same we don't have the same authority of course we're not meant to be god but we we're to be like him and declare his glory in simply the way that we are the way that we exist the way that we have Emotions, the way that we create, it was all meant to point to God and to give him glory. So the range of emotions that we feel, we have those because God gave those to us. He created us with those emotions that he has, that he put into us. So God created our emotional responses. But the difference is that the God experiences those perfectly and without, without sin. So why was God grieved? Why was he grieved in this passage? He was sad over the condition of creation. He knew what it once looked like, how it once operated. He knew what creation was before the fall, before Adam and Eve disobeyed God, before sin entered the picture and marred, distorted all of creation. He was sad because the ones that he created to be imitators of him the ones that he created to declare his glory, to imitate his character, his justice, his love, his beauty, all of those things we're supposed to imitate. And humanity has now had their hearts set, fully devoted to sin and destruction. He was saddened to see what creation had become. And I wanted to share a story with you that I came across uh, just last month. Um, see, in Central America, there are all of these, um, these ruins and remnants of the ancient uh, Mayan civilization. Okay? There are all these pyramids and other buildings um, that the ancient Mayans uh, had built. And in the country of Belize, uh, there was a pyramid that had been there for over 2,000 years. It was um, The article said it was about 65 feet tall. It was made out of limestone, and it was believed to be the center of this village of about 40,000 people, which is pretty large for its time. Um, It was the center, the hub of this community. Now, it was kind of overtaken by vegetation, as you'll see in a minute, um, but it was still recognizable of what it was. It was still recognizable that while it wasn't in its glory as it was when it was created, um, there were still remnants of it. Well, last month, um, there was a construction company that decided that it would repurpose the materials that were used in that pyramid. And so with bulldozers and backhoes, um, they went to work to demolish and extract the limestone from this 2,000-plus-year-old pyramid built by an ancient civilization. And their purpose in doing this, was to use the material for road gravel. To use the limestone for gravel. Something that was once beautiful, something that had been around a long time and was irreplaceable, um, was now destroyed for a lesser purpose. It was destroyed because of greed and because of ignorance. And as I read the article that was reporting this, it mentioned the archaeologists and how the archaeologists were just infuriated Infuriated. Why? Because they knew the significance of the structure. They knew what it once was. They knew the meaning behind it and how it was an ancient artifact that should be kept and maintained. And they were angry that it was destroyed for such a, such a, just a meaningless, not meaningless, but pales in comparison of the value of what was really there. And just like those archaeologists, or even some of you, as you hear this story, may be angry about what happened, that pales in comparison to how God looks at creation, how God sees, how God knows what it once was, and to see, to look and see how it was destroyed by sin, how it was destroyed by our self-centeredness and our greed, and how we no longer fully proclaim Image of His glory. This is what the fall has done to us: is to figure, disfigured creation. So, in our story in Genesis, um, God is looking down and He's mourning the destruction that's taking place in this creation—the creation, the creation that He intended for good. So, God, in His perfect justice, decides that He's going to start over, nearly start over. He decides that he's going to make things more like they were after the original creation. Um, that he will purge he will purge the earth of his corruption and revert things back more like they were before. And so God's judgment will be to flood the earth and to kill all life. Now, some of us, we've seen the images of, of Noah and the ark. We've seen the wallpaper in nurseries. And it's kind of this happy picture with the rainbow and the sun in the background, and there are all these, um, you know, smiling animals on the boat with Noah. And it's kind of this happy picture. Um, that's not at all the message of the story. That's not at all an accurate image of what's actually taking place. This is death. This is destruction. This is God's holy, holy and righteous judgment being poured out upon creation. It's destruction. But we also see mercy. We see God's mercy to Noah and to his family. It says, but there was one man whose family would be spared. In verse 8, of chapter 6, it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That Noah was a man that was righteous in this generation. It doesn't say that he was perfect. It doesn't say that here. But we know that Noah was a man of faith. He believed that God was real and that God was worthy of his worship. And this faith resulted in God giving mercy. He gave mercy to Noah. So God had planned judgment and destruction, but he gives Noah a way out. And Noah responds with obedience. Let's take a look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 6. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. So God God here tells Noah, is Noah. I want you to build an ark. And Noah does it. See, repeatedly in the story, repeatedly in the story of Noah in Genesis, it says, and Noah did all that God had commanded him. See, Noah did something with the information, the information that God had given him. He didn't just memorize the commands. He lived them out. He put them to action. He didn't just say, hey, God, those plans you gave me, In our our passage, it also mentions the dimensions of the ark. God gives all the information that Noah needs to build the ark. And Noah doesn't just reply with, God, I memorized all that. I know it. I know it. I know exactly how big this ark should be. He doesn't stop there. He actually goes, and he does it. And he builds the ark, as God had commanded. See, this took work. This took sacrifice. This cost Noah something. This would change. This took a long time. The ark took a long time to build. There was nothing like it that had ever been built. So it was kind of crazy. It was kind of crazy that God would ask Noah to do this. But Noah did it. And Noah responded in obedience. So later in the story, God commands Noah and his family to get onto the ark, along with all the animals that God had commanded him to take. And we see that as God promised, the flood came, that everything died, everything except the eight members of Noah's family and the animals that were on the ark. And after a year of being on the ark, the waters finally started to subside. And Noah and his family gets off the ark in chapter 8. And we see that one of the first things that Noah does when he gets off the ark after being on there for a year, one of the first things he does is he builds an altar to worship God and to offer God a sacrifice. Let's take a moment to look at chapter 9. and Again, reading verses 8 through 13. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it should be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. See, here God is making a covenant with Noah, a covenant. And a covenant is basically the terms of a relationship, the promises, in a sense a contract that was used between two people or two nations. God is making a covenant of promises to Noah. God makes promises, and we know that God always keeps his promises. See, last week we looked at creation, we looked at Adam and Eve, and we saw that immediately after the fall, so immediately after Adam and Eve had sinned and introduced sin into the creation, immediately after they disobeyed God, God gave them a promise. He gave them a promise of rescue, a promise that an offspring, a descendant of Eve, would crush Satan's head, meaning that God would deliver his creation from the effects of sin and restore the original wholeness, the original peace, the original shalom that once existed in Eden. So in our story, With Noah, we see that when God shows mercy to Noah and to his family, he was keeping his promise by not destroying all of humanity. God declared that he would not abandon humanity, but he would preserve it. He would preserve it. And he would do that in order to raise up a hero. A hero that would come later in the story. So the ark was God's means of salvation for Noah and his family. It was a way they would be physically saved, would be to get onto the ark. And it was effective in saving them, but the problem of sin and death had not been yet taken care of, had not been solved. And it is here, it is here that we see the story pointing to Jesus. See, Noah had faith. He had faith in God, and he responded to God's plan of salvation. He responded to building the ark and getting onto the ark see the no the ark would be the vessel to take on God's wrath and God's judgment. Noah need only to respond to god's plan and something in this that I want to take a minute to point out is that um, the ark that God had called Noah to build. Um, the Ark was basically a giant box. A giant wooden box. Okay? There were no sails. There were no oars. There was no rudder. And Noah was no captain. And this was, this was God's plan. And Noah needed to respond to that, to do what God had commanded. And trust that God would take it from there. He needed to get onto the ark and trust. Because this ark was massive. It was solid. It was built to last. And that was God's plan for Noah's physical salvation. Similar to the ark, Jesus Christ is our plan for salvation. See, the ark took on God's judgment in the flood, and Jesus Christ took on judgment for our sin and himself. He took on God's judgment and his wrath against sin by being beaten and being put to death on a cross. That Jesus, once and for all, paid the price, paid the penalty for humanity's rebellion, and Jesus defeated death in his resurrection. And our salvation is dependent upon putting our faith in Christ in God's plan for salvation. So what does this mean for us this morning? What does this mean for us? First, you see, Jesus is the object of our faith and the one that saves us. It is through Jesus, it is through Christ that we have restored relationship with God. It is through him that we had the promise of eternal life and restored creation, that things will be set back to the way they were intended to be. See, our faith is not in our performance. Our faith is not in our ability to live up to the commands that God has, has given us because sin is still present within us. Our hearts are still bent often on evil. But it's not up to us to perfectly live out everything that God has commanded us to do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. It's about the fact that Jesus died for us and completely satisfied God's wrath against sin. So it's not about how much we read Scripture. It's not about how much we pray. It's not about how sinless of a life that we lead. It's not about that. Jesus lived the sinless life for us. We can never earn our salvation. None of those things could ever save us. It's about Jesus and what he's done for us. But secondly, knowing that, having that information, knowing that in our hearts, that Jesus died for us and there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, that, faith in that, and who Jesus says he is, and he did what scripture says he did, it should lead us to something. It should lead us to respond in obedience. It should lead us to want to imitate God, to imitate the way he created us to be. It should lead us to respond in obedience, not because in that response we'll be saved, not because that will earn anything for us, but because God has already saved us, because God has already loved us. We should want to do the things that he has commanded us to do. We should look to respond because he has saved us. So how do we do that? What is it that we're to respond to? Um, I want to keep it simple this morning. And um, I was thinking of the story of in the New Testament when the disciples approached Jesus. And they were familiar with the Ten Commandments, the law given to, to Moses. They were familiar with that, and they asked Jesus, what's, what's the greatest one? What's the most important one? If we're to really focus and work hard at one, which, which one should it be? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies by saying, is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. This means that we put God first in our life and that we're intentional About sharing the gospel with our friends, with the people around us, with our neighbors, both in word and in deed. This means that we imitate Christ because we're his beloved children. And we do that so that people will get on the ark with us. And as I was digging into the passage this week, and I was listening to another pastor as he spoke on the same passage And he mentioned that it was likely that Noah had to have a crew to help him build the ark. That it was more than just his family. That this thing was massive. And he probably needed carpenters to help him. Those that kind of knew how to work with wood well and to build things. And it crossed my mind to think that there were all these people helping Noah to build this ark. And they never got on it. They were building the very thing that could save them, but they never got on it. That it was only Noah and his family that was saved. And God calls us. that he, he saves us. He gives us his mercy. He gives us his grace. He invites us in to basically get into the ark. And that ark has already withstood God's judgment. Jesus has already withstood God's judgment for us. And he says, go and make disciples. Invite other people onto that ark. Invite them to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And so this morning, I want to invite you, if you're not sure about who Jesus is, I want to invite you to continue to explore that. I want to invite you to believe. I want to invite you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins and that he rose again. That the world as we see it it was not the way it was intended to be. And God says, it's not always going to be like this. God says, I have a plan. God is a God of mercy and of grace. And he provides, just like he provided for Noah, he provided a way out for us. I want to invite you this morning to believe that. And for those that do believe, I want to invite you to, to search your hearts this morning. Ask God, God, where is it that you're calling me to respond in obedience? For us to be aware of who our neighbors around us, what their needs are, who they are, what's their story. How can we invite them to believe? Invite them to believe in God, to share the love of Christ with them, both in word and in deed. I want to invite you to that this morning. So as we conclude, um, I want to to pray for us. Shortly, And in a few moments, we're also going to be uh, taking our offering um, this morning. And our offering is a chance for members and regular tenders to uh, to give sacrificially out of the um, what God has blessed us with, uh, what he has given to us, and we respond in worship um, by giving back uh, to God. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, um, please don't feel obligated to give. This service is a gift to you. We're glad you're here with us. Please don't feel like you need to give. Um, What we would love is if you would fill out the response card that was included in your bulletin um, to let us know that you were here. Uh, And if anyone has any prayer requests, feel free to write that on the card. The leadership team prays over those every week. So we would love to pray pray with you and for for you. Uh, So let me pray for us, and we'll take offering, and then shortly after take communion. Father, I thank you, God, for your word that you've given us that declares... Who you are it declares your mercy. God, it declares your holiness and your righteous judgment. But God, that we are not left on our own. Lord, to face that, that Jesus took that for us, that He suffered for us, out of your love God, that you have for us. So, Lord, help us to believe this morning. Help us to take that message of grace and forgiveness in reconciliation, to take that message and to love our neighbors by serving them and sharing that message with them. Help us to respond, God, to obedience. Lord, if there's sin in our hearts that we've tolerated, that we overlook, God, may your Holy Spirit convict us and challenge us, God, to be obedient because that's, God, a better way, God, that we will never find peace, we'll never find satisfaction, God, in sin. But, God, you have a better promise for us, a better way to live, a better means to joy, and that is through you. let search our hearts this morning, God, I pray. Help us to respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen.